precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you, Lord, for allowing us to freely come and worship you today, to freely lift up the name of Jesus Christ, to worship you in fellowship, to worship you in song and praise, to worship you in giving. More importantly, Father, just to worship you and just hearing directly from you. So, Father, Lord, we ask, Lord, you just, uh, just prepare our hearts, Lord, much fruit for your kingdom building. We just thank you, Lord, for the pleasure that you give us, the opportunity to allow us to come together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, happy Father's Day to all the fathers here. We came here to worship the ultimate father, our, our example, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our God. Today we're going to talk about a father and his family, a father and his family. We know the role of a mom is it's pretty well recognized by everyone, not just in the church, but in the secular world also. We know that the mom has a vital role to play in the family unit. But for some reason, sometimes, some fathers feel like they have been put in like kind of second position, like a second-class citizen sometimes. They look at all the gifts and things that the mothers receive on Mother's Day and when Father's Day come around, they joyfully open up and say, great, another tie. <laughs> but especially in today's time, especially with this, uh, there's what they call an extreme feminist movement that seems to be going on. Uh, just this week, I was looking at an online article in Psychology Today, and this well-known feminist, she said this. She says, fathers are a biological necessity, but a psychological absurdity. And so this, that's the movement that seems to be going on now, that basically fathers don't really, not really not all that important. Just for biological purpose is what their importance are. But from the standpoint of God's word and in the evidence of a great deal of research that has been done recently, such a statement, we can all agree uh, or should agree, but that's absurd. Dads have a vital role in bringing strength and stability to the home. Actually, both mom and the father, they bring ingredients to the home that are crucial to the spiritual maturity and stability of the home. Together, they blend in unity, which in many ways reflects the image of God. So these two influences together, especially when they are the product of a godly heritage, are vital forces in shaping the spirituality and psychological healthiness of the family unit. I have a very short video clip I want you to show, and then we're going to continue on with God's word. Just a short message to us fathers.
came here today real briefly just to tell you this morning that fathers are important to the health of their families. Fathers are important to the health of their families. And I believe that's also healthy to society as a whole. We just can't cast them aside and expect that everything is going to go on as it should. Fathers, we have a huge role to play in today's families. In fact, I think there's at least three main roles that we need to fulfill. And each of these roles have manifestation in the lives in our, of our family members. So this morning, I'm going to be talking largely extent to the men that are in this room. But to the ladies, I have a message here for you also. As we see the biblical role of fathers, let us use this as our guide map on how to pray for your husband, your sons, and the other men in your life. Pray that they will realize their true role and work to live up to the expectations that have been placed on us by God. Children, my goal is for you is that you'll be challenged today to pray for your fathers. Pray for us. That they may be the kind of men that we that will describe and, and respect them because they have been placed in your life by God. Young boys, try to become this type of man that we're going to talk about in the Bible. To the young ladies in here, we pray that God will provide this kind of man that we're going to talk about in Scripture for you to marry one day. And for those of you who are single moms, you have to serve in the capacity of both mom and dad. So let these traits that we will discuss be the focus of your life also. Can you turn with me to the book of Colossians? Everyone say Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. I think our bulletin said we're going to read verses 18 through 21. But we're going to read all the way to 25. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 18 through 25, and I'll read it for you. Familiar piece of uh, scripture. Paul writing to the church in Coloss. And he's admonishing God's plan for the Christian household. Listen to what Paul tells us, being inspired by God. He says this. He said, wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of the heart, fearing the Lord. He goes on to say this. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Amen. So as I was going through the book of Colossians, I, I, I noticed some roles uh, 
that was very clear, more particularly as fathers. A lot of people looked at scripture, this is how a wife's supposed to, but I, I think it's really focusing on the fathers and how to have this godly household function. Number one, as we read verses 18 and 19, it says, as husband, he is a leader and he loves his wife. He is a leader and he loves his wife. Let me say a couple of things about submission. It's been a great debate in this tension and struggle between husband and wife. Submission, as it is talked about in the Bible, someone say in the Bible, it has nothing to deal with superior, superiority over one person above the other. It doesn't have to do with that. Or one who has greater worth more than the other. I'm not talking about that. In Galatians 3.28, God makes it clear that men and women have equal worth with him. Jesus Christ willingly submits himself to the Father, even though they are both God. You see that? Jesus Christ, he willingly submits himself, even though he is God also. That's the key word here, willingly. It is not forced submission. It is a choice, so it must, so it must be in the relationship. And as I kind of think about this, I was just, just this recently, my wife is going to get me for this, but it's Father's Day, so maybe she'll have some grace upon me. We were in San Diego, and there was this particular hill. It was really weird. This, the hill was kind of steep. And it seems like uh, it's really weird. It's like, it seems like I had a Moses experience almost. It's like I wanted to go up this hill, but I didn't want to go by myself. Pastor Spencer said he wasn't going with me. Pastor Doris wasn't going, so I said, surely my wife, she's going to go with me. And as I, you know, was, you know, was you know, trying to show off my superiority, I said, my wife, she's going to climb that hill with me. But she was not willing to go. She was not willing to go. And so that's the key word here. We will, willingly submit to each other. Second in verse 19, that husband, he loves his wife. He loves his wife. In verse 19, it says, husband, love your wife and do not be harsh with her. And as part of what it means to love a woman is found in the word husband. The word is used to speak of someone who holds the house together. It holds it together. Some of you may have heard the word husbandry. And it's used to refer, if you're into gardening, into agriculture, you hear this word a lot if you're into it called husbandry. And a gardener is someone who cultivates and keeps the weeds out and it keeps everything together. The husbandry, that's, that's where we get the word husband from. This husband is keeping the things together, holding things together to cultivate, not to bully or to force. It cultivates. And so husbandry is used to refer to agriculture or gardening. A gardener is someone who cultivates and keeps the soil, keeps the weeds out. As husbands, it is our responsibility to love our wives by holding things together and providing an atmosphere of growth and fruitfulness in our homes. This means protecting our wives and our families. It means helping them to grow and reach their full potential rather than hindering them because maybe we're afraid they might outshine us. We're not to do that. We're to cultivate them. And it means to faithfully doing it for the rest of our lives. Isn't that right, Stacy? 
And so I submit to you, fathers, husbands, if you want your wife to really submit to your leadership, Scripture tells us we need to love her. And when we love her, her natural response will be to willingly submit to our leadership. If we try to lead, if we try to lead her without love her, she will many times rebel against our leadership. And leadership without love is tyranny. I'll say that again. Leadership without love is tyranny. And when we was at this conference, they really talked about that. We, talk, we took a lot of leadership classes there. And one of the key words that I heard a lot was this word, love. I was very impressed by all of the volunteers and all of the, uh, the workers. I mean, it literally took hundreds of volunteers to make this event take place. And when I was talking to the leadership, they were saying, we love our volunteers. We love those whom we have rule over, so to speak. We love them. And because they do that, they willingly serve. They willingly do what it takes to make everything hold together. And likewise, in the family, we need to love, and with that love will come that willingness and help things come together. And that is God's plan for us in the roles of fathers and husbands as it relates to our wives. Number two, as a parent, he is an instructor and an encourager. I'm going to read verse 20 and 21 again to drive home this point. It says, children, obey your parents in everything. Y'all heard that, right? Children, obey your parents in everything. For this, I'll say it again. I heard it saying, say it again. Children, obey your parents in what? I didn't hear the children. Children, obey your parents in what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. You want to please the Lord, obey your parents. Now, this is the part my children like. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, we're not going to say, we're going to, matter of fact, we're going to park right there. <laughs> so the children can really enjoy this message. So as an instructor, so this is one of the things I noticed. Children... They don't naturally obey you, naturally. Sometimes they do, but naturally they don't. They have to be taught. We have the responsibility, fathers, to teach our children and to train them, train them how to become responsible adults. One pastor said this in Christianity Today, and he says it jokingly. He says this. He says, we train our dogs and we don't train our kids. Then we tie up the dogs at night, and then we let the kids run wild. Obviously, he hadn't seen my household, because I wouldn't let my kids. But his name is Adrian Rogers. But like the leadership of the home, many have abandoned their role as a teacher and handed it off to their wives, to the school teachers, to the churches, respected youth pastors who rear our children up. There was a day when the boys of the family would spend virtually all their waking hours with their father, and they thought that they were learning how to care for the farm and one day take over the farm, but in reality, they were learning what it meant to be an adult. It was teaching them responsibility. It takes time and energy to instruct our children, but they are well worth the investment. 
we will reap the benefits when we, when we see the men and women whom we've helped cultivate. Some fathers don't instruct because they are already convinced themselves that, hey, my children, they're they not going to listen to me anyway. We may, you may be right as they turn a deaf ear to you at some times in their life. Sometimes that happens, Brother Reuben, right when they turn teenagers. You're telling me some experience. But one day they do realize that what you have to say is worth listening to. He testified that at also. We can come up with all kind of excuses for why we can't instruct our children. No time. There's no energy. No interest on their part. Maybe you feel like you have nothing to teach them. Maybe you feel like you have no marketable skills to teach them. But I submit to you, yes, you do. You have so much that they need to know. There's a companion passage in Ephesians 6 and 4, and it says this. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we have the responsibility to open the Bible with them and at least learn it together with them. There are countless ways we can turn our children against them or discourage them. We can do this by ignoring them or never having time for them or, getting in, or never getting involved in their lives or inviting them to be a part of our life. We can insult them and make, make their efforts so high that they could never reach them and to frustrate, frustrate them. If you do that, your children will begin to have disparity in their heart and may believe that no matter how they behave is irrelevant. They figure out since good behavior doesn't get them greater freedoms, they might as well have fun being bad. So sometimes they just give up. So our job as a parent is to encourage them. It's tough to encourage kids and teach them at the same time while you're trying to do a whole bunch of different things. And sometimes they don't do it the same way as you want to do them the first time. And I think of some steps or ways um, to keep my children from being discouraged. Some of my children, for example, sometimes they get discouraged with math. So one of the things that I tell them to do is, okay, make sure you bring your book home. So first of all, so I can refresh my memory, but bring the book home. And what I do is I do it first. Have them watch me do it, do it along with them, and then release them to do it by themselves. All along the, all along the time, encouraging them and showing them in a loving way their mistakes. Oh, Meg, you forgot to carry the one this time. Let me show you why that's not going to work. And so, therefore, it is important that we don't frustrate them, but to teach them in a loving way. So if your children feel like there's no chance of meeting your expectations or gaining their attention or your approval, they're going to stop trying. So we need to train them, notice them, and encourage them. Verses 22 and 25. Normally, when I first started this, I was going to stop right here, but you know what? This applies to fathers also. Verse 22, where it says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, and not for men. What this is telling us is for all of us to do our best. Don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Sometimes it's easy to do when we're working for people that don't seem like to appreciate our efforts. But doing our best as Christians brings glory to the title of Christian, and therefore it brings glory to the name of Jesus Christ. So in actuality, the Lord is our employer. That means that even when our earthly bosses isn't watching, 
the Lord, he's still watching us. So what you do is set a good example for our children by even on the job, you know, explaining to our children that even though we may not like our job, we tell our children that whatever that we do, do it as, as unto the Lord. A few of you fathers, you have people who work up under you. All of you fathers have children that you command. One final word for your management of others. Treat those under you under your authority as you would have the Lord to treat you. A husband who is a leader and who is a lover, a parent who is an instructor instructor and an encourager, and an employee who is a faithful and a fair manager, that's why we need dads. With all the expectations that are placed on us by our families and by our ministries and our jobs, sometimes the job can be overwhelming. But a good father, he's going to do this. He's going to say, how can I be like my own heavenly father? That's the question we should be asking fathers. How can we be like our own heavenly father? How can I just get rid of the self-reliance in my heart and teach my children, fill them with confidence and courage and realize that it's all upon the Lord to help them? How can I be the kind of father whose children do not lose heart or become spiritless or, or just sullen or discouraged, but are filled with hope in God and happiness and in God and confidence in God and encourage them to attempt great things for the glory of God? The most important work that we as fathers can do for the sake of our children, I believe, is to be saved. The most important strategy for bringing up our children is to become a new man in Christ whose hope and happiness and confidence are in God and not in himself. Whose hope and happiness and confidence that they are in God and not in himself. We know this is true from scripture because we are taught to imitate our heavenly father. He tells us we are to be holy even as he is holy. We are told to be merciful as he is merciful. So to be a good child and to be a good father is to copy our daddy in heaven. It honors the father to be imitated. And we are commanded to honor our fathers. And so the most important question a father can ask is, not what shall I teach my children, but here's the question. Who am I before the living God? Who am I before him? So fathers, children, you know you like this. Don't provoke your children by being impulsive or erratic in our, in our discipline. We should be like our father in heaven so that our children can know him and become hopeful and happy and confident in him. We pray those fathers who have strived to balance the demands of work, marriage, children. We pray for them. We pray for their love and their support. We also pray for those fathers who have been wounded by the neglect and hostility of some of their children. We pray for those fathers who, despite divorce, have remained in their children's lives. We 
We thank Father for those children that they adopted. Those who love and support have offered here before them. We thank Father who are stepfathers freely who freely choose the obligation of fatherhood and have earned their children's love and respect. We also pray for those fathers who have lost children to death and continue to hold the children in their hearts. We thank you, Lord, for those men who have fathered, who have fathered us in their roles as mentors and guides. We pray for those men who are about to become fathers. May they openly delight in their children. And we thank you for the fathers that have passed away but live on in our memory and whose love continues to nurture us. And so fathers, the best things that we can do, number one, submit our life to Jesus Christ and to imitate our Father in heaven. You may say, how can we do that? process is through prayer and through the reading and through the adherence of the greatest instruction manual given to mankind. And so I just want to encourage my brothers, those, who, those of you who are not even fathers yet, we just pray that you mentor the children who may not even have a father just yet, where they, where they don't have a father, and you're placed in their lives. We just ask that we love our wives and ensure that God will touch their hearts where they're willingly ready to stand by our leadership. We just pray that we're able to manage our children in a godly manner so that we lift them up in the body of Christ. So that they don't necessarily have hope in us, but their hope and their happiness rests in Jesus Christ, which is the heart of what Paul was getting to when he's talking about, let us not discourage our children, to give them hope in the Lord and that true happiness comes in serving the Lord and that we can be an example. If we can't be happy before the Lord, our children may notice that. And so my brother, we ask pray that we can all just lift up the name of Jesus Christ and that we live the life and the calling that he has called us to do. Let us pray.